Come quietly or there will be trouble. Bloodbath and Beyond, episode 20. I'm Casey Mitchell. I bet you think you're pretty smart, huh? And I'm Burton Cody. Think you could outsmart a bullet? Please put down your weapon. You have 20 seconds to comply. Because today we're talking about RoboCop. <laughs> RoboCop is a movie that is very near and dear to my heart uh, for what it is and when I saw it at a young age and that I continue watching it uh, quite frequently, you know, every year or so. Yeah, I, I think your enthusiasm for this movie is a big part of why I wanted to do this retrospective in the first place. Yeah. I, I admittedly, like, I was aware of RoboCop. I've always known the character, but I'd never really taken the time to watch the movies until the last couple of years. Okay. Um, believe it or not, I think my first exposure to RoboCop was uh, an action figure I had received for a birthday, an early birthday. And you would place, like, uh, caps, like you would use in a cap gun. And he had, like, a snapping action and for his gunshot. And I have no idea what happened to that toy, but I thought it was pretty rad. <laughs> my pa- I think my mom hated the idea of me, I don't know, I was probably like four years old, having a toy with like caps. She thought of fire hazards and everything, so RoboCop, I, that one was I like, short. I feel like sparking toys were a huge trend at that point, though. Yeah. and like Toys that created sparks. I think that was a toy released in light of the sequels, maybe, because the first one came out in 87, when we're talking <laughs> about today, and I was probably less than a year old. When that had come out by then. Uh. Yeah, I uh, my first exposure to RoboCop was also in light of the sequels. Mm-hmm. Um, I first saw RoboCop on a uh, WCW pay-per-view event. Oh, really? Uh, that, that I saw. I didn't see it live. I saw it on video a couple of years later. Uh, but it was called Capital Combat: The Return of RoboCop. Uh, <laughs> RoboCop had never appeared in wrestling before, so the return is. A little strange, but uh, during that event, the four horsemen led by Ric Flair locked Sting into a very tiny cage, and RoboCop arrived, ripped the door off of the cage, and left. <laughs> Bent the bars, of course. I mean, it, it was it was definitely the um, the most dynamic uh, integration of a film character uh, into the world of wrestling until uh, David Arquette won the WCW world title. And after that, uh, the Chucky doll from the Child's Play movies got into an argument with Rick Steiner. I forgot all about the Chucky doll. Um, Yeah, RoboCop, the first science fiction character. And that's pretty cool they had Chucky, though. I guess an animatronic doll. It, it was really terrible. It, he was he was on the uh, the big screen. Was he like a Muppet kind of? Where you couldn't see yeah. like above the well, below the waist. I mean, it was it was the I mean it was the Chucky doll. You know it looked it still had Brad Dorff's voice and everything, but he was really just there like I'm here to promote my new movie Seed of Chucky and like Rick Steiner's <laughs> like screaming and I'm like don't laugh at me boy don't laugh at me. <laughs> like come on don't you come out here and fight me. And the crowd is just booing because they're so fed up with this stupid angle. <laughs> they just want it to end as soon as possible. I'm sure that's it has to be floating around on Botchamania somewhere. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. But you know what's not? 
Robocop. Yeah, Robocop. For the uninitiated, Robocop is the story of a policeman in the not-too-distant future who's mortally wounded, and he's melded with machine to become Robocop. And when I say that he's mortally wounded, I mean he's gruesomely murdered by a gang of thugs. Oh, it's maybe the most violent scene in the whole movie. Oh, oh, easily, I think. And our title character goes on a quest to find out who he was and regain his humanity. So that's more or less the story. Uh, Sadly, this near-future Detroit is actually a little better looking than the reality of current Detroit. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) It's much sadder. Well, Well, for instance, this wasn't actually shot in Detroit. It was filmed in Dallas. For the most part, and I think maybe a little bit in Hollywood, but for the most part, Dallas, because in Texas, they were much more comfortable, the city was, with guns and explosions going off than they were in Detroit. And I <laughs> Where think, that's commonplace. Yeah, and I think it was just all around cheaper to shoot there in Dallas. And with a, a lot of the matte paintings they use, and they use them quite well in this movie, um, I think they dubbed, they did it well enough to where it's like, okay, this is Detroit. In just a few years. And I've heard some people complain that uh, the future setting of RoboCop doesn't look futuristic enough. But I I do like the fact that it is a future that feels right around the corner. Yeah, I I, I dig that too. I mean, mean, in this movie, there are really only two robots. Like, the idea of robotics is still in its infancy. It's in its prototype phase. Yeah, and they're not without their many bugs. The first robot we're really talking about is the one that you first see in the movie. And if you've never seen the movie before and you walked into RoboCop, you'd think that they're introducing RoboCop. But it's actually this big, clunky, malfunctioning murder machine called Ed 209. And uh, one of the more uh, amusing scenes in the movie, like five minutes in, uh, in a demonstration sequence, Ed 209 gruesomely guns down one of the executives for this fictional corporation called uh, Omni Consumer Products. Just because he was holding a gun Yeah. that he was told to hold up to it to see how it would react. Yeah. I have to comment on the squib effects in this sequence. Depending upon which version you see, there is a longer, more violent cut of the film. But Paul Verhoeven, had he left intact, it would have been rated X. And one of the big... Uh, changes he had to make was this sequence in here where the, the executive Mr. Kenny, Mr. Kenny is gunned down and there's just squibs exploding all over the place. It's it's cartoonish intentionally so too. Like oh, and, and that's that's really the theme of the violence here. It's mostly like just like, so over the top that it... Yeah. That, that is one of the hallmarks of this movie that uh, a lot of that made, made it so memorable was the violence and the approach Definitely. to it. The only... Well, I'd say there were maybe two uh, disturbing scenes, but the most is the most infamous, and there's one we mentioned earlier with uh, Murphy getting gunned down. It's sadistic, and yeah. it, it follows right after the boardroom sequence. So I'm I'm always impressed at uh, Verhoeven's ability to shift the tone, and it feels natural. Well, and if you wanna, you know, if you wanna get a, I don't know, creative writing 101 about it. I mean, the, the boardroom 
you know, well, of course, they're all about their profit margins, but they also the idea of making a RoboCop stems from seeing Ed 209's malfunctions mm-hmm. and thinking that you might need a little humanity inside within to regulate it. Yeah. And then we cut to these criminals who are who are human but still sadistic, gunning down a police officer in as grotesque a fashion. Yeah, uh, they start out with shooting his hand off with a shotgun. And then they all take turns, it's like five guys or so with shotguns, just blowing him apart, blowing him to pieces. They blow off his arm, they shoot him all over his chest. He's wearing body armor, so I'm guessing that's why he doesn't die immediately. Yeah. And this is not, you know, before the main bad guy, Clarence Bodiger. Played, played by, by Kurtwood Smith. Yeah. Who, who many of us will remember as uh, Red Foreman from that '70s show. Yeah, um, I knew him first from this movie, and I w- I never watched that '70s show. I still haven't seen it actually, but I, I'm it's always amusing to me. I have friends who watch this movie like God, that dad from that '70s show. He's so evil in this. I also knew him from Rambo Three, where he played a minor part. Oh yeah, he is in that too. Um, Verhoeven intentionally cast character actors. Mm-hmm. who had been, you know, played nice guys. He wanted them to play against type, to play the bad guys. And the other one was Ronnie Cox. And uh, a lot of people knew Ronnie Cox from Deliverance. He's he's the guy who plays uh, the guitar at the beginning with uh, the banjo boy. I don't know if you've okay. seen that. See, I don't, I don't know if anybody associates Deliverance with nice guys, though. Well, he's like a good guy, like, and you don't want to see anything bad to it, anything bad happen to him. And uh, okay. Ronnie Cox had been on TV, and he always played, like, Sort of like a father figure. So there's that. And, and I appreciate that. And Kurtwood Smith and Ronnie Cox play really nasty bad guys. And I love it. They do. Um, they do. Uh, can we talk about how strange looking Peter Weller is? He is so incredibly thin <laughs> and bone. He's kind of a weird looking guy anyways, though. Yeah. And even, even before he becomes RoboCop, his... His uh, voice and his delivery is kind of stilted. Yeah, uh, Weller is an interesting guy, too. I mean, I think before RoboCop, he had had some experience with, like, martial arts or something. I think he was he was doing stage work, mostly. My understanding, though, was that he wasn't necessarily the first choice. No, uh, the studio kind of wanted Arnold Schwarzenegger to be RoboCop. That were... How different would that movie be? Uh, it would have RoboCop saying uh, one-liners that weren't supposed to be like uh, ironic in a way that RoboCop doesn't know that they're funny, but everybody else does. Like, stay out of trouble. I can't imagine Arnold Schwarzenegger saying that. And th- I think the, the reason they eventually didn't go with him was because that the RoboCop suit body would have looked too bulky on him because he's a bodybuilder. And Weller is a real post. He would have looked like R2-D2 with legs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just like the Michelin Man, just overinflated, you know? Just ridiculous. Yeah, the, the Robotech costume really does require a, a light, uh, lithe, uh, thin body. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of the body, I, I really love um, the lighting in this movie. Um, it's done with a lot of uh, what looks like fluorescent lights. I think I mentioned this... Um, Last week with like Kino Flow. But it gives it like a really, the whole movie, this great industrial look. And by that matter, it makes the Robocop suit look really believable and metallic. Whereas in the sequels, you'll see that the lighting is really off and it makes his body look really plasticky. So here, I think they nailed it and they should have stuck with the formula. 
sadly they didn't. So, and, and Rob Bottin, who uh, many of you probably know from uh, The Thing, he does a he did a wonderful job just creating this RoboCop body, um, and he does some of the gore effects like where Murphy gets murdered and the uh, infamous toxic waste man towards the end of the movie. Oh wow! So this is Rob Bottin again. Yeah. Uh, he's he's still incredibly young at this point too, isn't he? Yeah, he was like nineteen, eighteen or nineteen when he worked on the thing. Which it just I that blows my mind. Yeah, like I, I don't know. Yeah, some of the most incredible special effects of of all time done by a guy who's roughly nineteen <laughs> designing the creature in this movie. Yeah, he, it's, yeah, RoboCop. He's probably like twenty five when he worked on it. <laughs> it's that's insane. That is insane. Yeah. I can't think of anybody like that in the effects business, really, to have do such quality work. So young, and and I mean, that, that that is the definition of prodigy. Yeah, and work that's stood this test of time, I think. And on on budgets that probably weren't that great to begin with. Yeah, this movie was what like ten million dollars. Yeah, it's something it's something really small. It's yeah. not. <laughs> uh, I think maybe in and today's yet, money would be like forty million. Yeah, but he designs this completely iconic suit. And, I mean, make no mistake, beyond the quality of the first movie, the reason anybody likes RoboCop is because of the cool costume. Yeah, like, it, it's so eye-catching and memorable. Like, it, you won't mistake him for anything else. It's like C-3PO or, or Darth Vader. Like, you just know them. Or the Terminator with his face torn off. Yeah, like, just everything you associate about it is just so classic. And uh, a lot of what makes the body work is Peter Weller's performance. And he worked with a mime coach for months. And, and um, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, like he's a pretty good athlete himself. So Weller just had this great sense of movement. Like he would turn his head first before his body would turn. Just little things. And to keep himself always robotic. Like uh, I've always really impressed with that when I watch it. Just his consistency of maintaining the roboticness. You know, what What amazes me about that, though, is that in the RoboCop costume, Peter Weller can move his neck. That is that is a problem most modern superhero movie costume designers can, have yet to figure out how to solve. Yeah, uh, I guess they kind of figured it out with uh, uh, The Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. That was like, uh, wasn't that like a plot point to it? That was a, that was a joke they made. Yeah, can't turn my head. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, uh, apparently it wasn't always so easy for him to move in that outfit. Uh they say that any shot where uh, Weller has to get in or out of his police car, yeah. it was far too bulky to fit. So you'll always just see you'll always see him like sliding into the car or get or standing just out of it, but never actually in the seat. Oh man, Verhoeven. Uh, this was his first uh, American film. He had already done an English language movie by then, and that was Flesh and Blood with Rutger Hauer and uh, Jennifer Jason Leigh. is like this medieval movie. It's not bad. Do we even know how uh, Verhoeven was picked for this part? I mean, he, it... he was part of... He was way down a list of directors that had received the script of RoboCop that Edward Neumeyer had written. And according to, I think, John Davison, the producer, he said pretty much every major director in Hollywood just immediately threw the script in the trash. And one of them was Paul Verhoeven. But it was Verhoeven's wife who actually read the whole thing. She said she really liked it and saw potential in it, and that there was a little, there was a heart to the story that you know that could be explored. You know, huh. and I, and I think that the movie does have a great sense of pathos. You really care about RoboCop. You want to see him get revenge on the bad guys really badly, 
and uh, I think Verhoeven said because we don't really get to know Murphy that well before he gets to be RoboCop, he made the opening action scene, or no, not action scene, but his murder sequence so in, you know over the top and violent. To try to make us feel badly for him. Yeah, like wow, I really want him to see him, you know, take out these dirt bags. And that kind of leads to uh, one of the problems I have with the script. I mean, this okay. is this is a movie I love. I absolutely adore it. It's it's like a favorite of mine. It's like top twenty. And but that's uh, when RoboCop is getting revenge on all the bad guys. They don't, ex- with the exception of one of them. None of them seemed to know who he was beforehand. That, yeah. And so, as like RoboCop never gets that satisfaction. Clarence Bodiger, the main bad guy, doesn't know that he was that cop that he just slaughtered. Right. Yeah, he never quite he never, he never puts that two and two together. Yeah, they they never show that, and it's not even really implied at all. So I'm just assuming that he never knows. Just that yeah. one guy Emil does, because he says, "Dead or alive, you're coming with me." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, another thing. This movie is incredibly quotable. There's there's, yes. there's that uh, crazy sitcom they have playing in the background. It's like, it's like kind of sexist. It has like this old guy, and he's always yelling, "I'd buy that for a dollar." Oh man, I I loved the TV and commercials. Oh, I loved the the uh, Newcomb board. The Newcomb game. board game, the, the Cold War board game. That was hilarious. Um, clearly written, you know. <laughs> During the uh, Reagan administration, and there's even a knock at the Star Wars program that Reagan had started yes. with the laser satellite. That accidentally fired on. <laughs> yeah, for, it kills two former U.S. presidents. It's like, Jesus. There's mentions of a space station. I mean, it's... Uh, but, you know, uh, actually, the I buy, I, I'd buy that for a dollar, uh, and this goes with the satire of the television commercials and uh, shows. Uh, that's actually a reference to a... Uh, to a short story from the 50s by Cyril Kornbluth. Oh, I didn't uh, notice. He was he is a writer that wrote he was he's considered like one of those futurist writers, but he was deeply cynical about what the future was going to be. Uh, even in the 50s, he foresaw that our television future was going to be kind of just full of reality TV morons with no real talent to contribute. Um <laughs> And I don't necessarily recommend the story because it gets a little too Randian for my taste. Uh, the idea of like, you know, oh, there's only like 10,000 smart people and then 7 billion morons and those people are going to be governed by the intelligent. And mm. yeah, but, but the, the funny part, of course, is, the, ta- is the, uh, the game show on that, which is I'd buy that for a quarter, where you have to decide, would you buy this for a quarter or would you not? And that's the whole thrill of it, whether they say yes or no. So that, that that the I'd buy that for a dollar is a reference to that story, yeah. March the marching morons. And speaking of influence, this movie I think is often or on the internet now. There's a, there's a misconception that this was originally going to be a Judge Dredd movie, and they couldn't get the rights to the character. Edward Newmyer said that he was inspired by Judge Dredd, but what really inspired RoboCop altogether was Blade Runner. He had seen a poster for that, and he was like inspired to write a story about a robot policeman. And Judge Dredd, like he took, he takes a few nods from it. Like some of his dialogue, is, the uh, the fact that they both have visored helmets. Yeah, like that is a Judge Dredd reference. Like, but saying that this was supposed to be a Judge Dredd movie, but that just got changed, you know, with the script is not quite they have, true. They have slightly different tones. Yeah. Although I mean, but but it, this it is the same like sort of authoritarian cop. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
uh, or, or rather authoritarian super cop. Yeah, and in a, in a dystopian uh, future megalopolis, you know. Yeah, but I, but I mean, also, I mean, how how long how long was there a gap between this and Terminator? Oh God, Terminator was what eighty four, so three years. Yeah, so I mean, they had to have seen Terminator as well and thought, okay, how can we do a robot guy like that but make him a good guy? Yeah, well, actually, now you think about it, it was probably just two years because they started shooting this in '86. Yeah, so they, I'm sure, you know, they saw that and said, okay, the robot, and that's a bad guy, but people loved that. Mm-hmm. How do we make him the hero and yeah. make him even more marketable to the kids? That's even though, even though it's gory as all get out, you know that they're. I mean, especially by the time they hit two and three, they're starting to aim for the kids as their market. Oh, with the toys, yeah. And the cartoon show and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, there were several cartoon shows, live action show, live action uh, TV or TV movies, and every single one him, of it was bad. Him palling around with Sting. I mean, yeah, every bit of it was bad. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, just uh, the action scenes too. They aren't like technically, you know, the most incredible things you've ever seen, but they're really good. A lot of that has to do with the level of violence that's pumped into it, and it's exciting. I really love the fight he has with Ed 209 and sort of the, the punchline to that whole sequence is that uh, Ed 209's defeated by uh, walking stairs. It's... Okay, I have... A, <laughs> one of the things I want to sort of comment on about Ed 209 is I don't understand why it makes animal noises. It's because why not, Casey? I guess, but I mean, it's just like... It, it roars like a lion when it's feeling aggressive, and it screams like a chicken. Like I think it's supposed to make pig sounds when it falls on the down the stairs. Yeah, it's making pig sounds. I guess it's just. I think I, I I don't really know either, but maybe just to trigger a response like, oh well, now it, it was tough and intimidating at first, but now it's just a squealing. It's just pig. funny and yeah. laughable. Yeah, it's now it's just a joke. It's complete. It's mostly useless. And by the time Robocop sees Ed Two Hundred Nine for the third time. It doesn't even fire off one round. He just blows it up with that uh, modified cannon uh, rifle or whatever. Really, it, it that 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 robot does nothing but look cool and shoot that one executive. Yeah, it does uh, wound Robocop pretty good. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. I, I do like how it uh, blasts open his visor, and you see uh, Robocop's eye for the first time since he was a regular guy. That was a really cool shot. And uh, Verhoeven, I think he does a great job slowly introducing you into the robot, or just Robo, Robocop himself, because if you if he just, Murphy gets killed, and then like two minutes later you see Robocop just walking around in broad daylight, full view, I don't think yeah. you would have bought it as easily. I liked all the sequences from Robocop's POV where he's being tuned yeah, up. Yeah, that's and about what I was about to mention, yeah. Created. Yeah, where they just keep like fading in and out to the different lab techs, checking on various yeah, parts, and, and then he'll yeah, an indeterminate time. Yeah. yeah, he'll wake up a month later, and they're doing something else, or they, they celebrating sh- Christmas or New Year's together. Yeah, they show off uh, one of his arms. Uh, it's like he could crush every bone in your hand. He's plated with titanium and some kind of like Kevlar substitute or whatever. I don't know, like all the the sci-fi like mechanical features of it. I should though. Um, uh, the, I, I do like the uh, the hip lock uh, gun holster. Oh yeah, that just emerges from his thigh. That's such a cool design feature. And yeah, Newmeyer said he wanted him to be like uh, a Western gunslinger. I mean, well, and and even more than that, he want like uh, the character of Murphy. 
wants to be like the the uh, the I forget the name of the TV character. TG TJ Laser. TJ Laser, which yeah. his son likes. So even even before he, he turns into RoboCop, we see him like twirling his gun around like a Western hero, the way TJ Laser does to impress his kid. Yeah, he's pretty good with that. And like uh, Starship Troopers, Verhoeven, with the future setting, wanted to present uh, a future where there's like everything's just intergender. Even like the locker room, you see like uh, female police officers are changing in the same locker room as the men, and then he did that Starship Troopers. He said the future seems very progressive in that way. Yeah, that that that's just Paul Verhoeven's uh, thing. He has he, he says I I would like to see a future where no one cares about gender anymore. So that that's admirable, I think. Yeah, I mean, there's still there's still attempted rapists and yeah. uh, prostitutes and people yeah. people yelling uh, and uh, was it Kurtwood Smith yelling "bitch leave," <laughs> bitches leave, yeah, yeah, the, uh, prostitutes. So, yeah. But I mean, but those are the bad guys. Ex- exactly, and Lewis, I I like the fact that she's never sexualized or never shown as like a potential love interest or that. Oh, I feel so bad for Murphy. He can't have sex with her. Yeah, like she's just his friend. I just like that. Although they they seem to be very fast friends, like for because if I'm not mistaken, they never teamed up before the t- first time we see them together. Yeah, I guess he got a kick out of watching her fight a couple of dudes in the police station. But you are right, like he gets killed really quickly. He gets killed on their first mission together. <laughs> yeah, and she and like, but she immediately knows when she sees RoboCop. That's Murphy. Like she can just tell. Yeah, well, she ha- I think she had a sneaking suspicion. Cause he women's gets, intuition. Yeah, women's intuition, I guess. Maybe she, she's good at recognizing uh, jaws, jaw lines. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's all there is to go on. Yeah. And uh, the metallic uh, Peter Weller voice, which sounds... Mur- Murphy did talk kind of stilted before. <laughs> yeah. <has> to be. <laughs> that's, I... that's a good point. If I, if I can complain about one thing, I I enjoyed as you said that they tried to make RoboCop seem more human and relatable. Yeah. But man, the way they did it was so doofy. Doofy, yeah. Which way? Uh, uh the scene where RoboCop returns I to like Murphy's old scene. home. I like I, that scene. I I I like it, but I think it is so funny. I think it is so hammy. <laughs> like, it's appropriate for this. This is like a you know, it's a superhero movie. When oh, it is, down. it is. But it's not above. It's not above me joking on it a little bit. I yeah. mean, the okay. He goes back to the house, and I okay. I believe that okay. He's gonna go in the house, and I'm gonna see his memories and his flashbacks. I totally accept that. What I don't accept is that this house has a for sale sign. It even has a DVD, an automated DVD that plays when you walk into the house that tries to sell you on it. But there are rotting flowers everywhere and trash. Yeah. And you'd think like you think like this realtor has really taken the time to put up a good presentation, but they have done nothing to the house to try to make it approachable or to anyone. You got a point there. Like I, I'm guessing they just completely they thought it was said, good set design. The hell with you know you know rationality with realtors or whatever. Let's just have some dramatic effect, and they have them find how, the yeah, photograph of Halloween and all that. Yeah. Yeah, so. and I, I get that his family moved on and yeah, stuff. Dad's yeah. dead. They, I mean, no, they don't tell anybody that RoboCop is Murphy. RoboCop is just RoboCop. Like that's the, that's the PR. Like he's just this robot man that came from nowhere. Mm-hmm. And and Murphy barely remembers being Murphy. That, it's and for the most part, the public doesn't even know how he works. You know. Right. They're just impressed. Yeah. I mean, he, they, there's a really cool scene of him taking out a uh, 
a uh, ripoff artist at a liquor store. Um, <laughs> yeah, he buys like uh, Iron Man and Rom comic books, or he throws uh, them Rom in Space Knight. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I was just gonna say, um, I always laugh at the uh, the acting of Murphy's wife. Oh yeah, uh, because she because in her scene in the flashback, she comes up and goes, "I have to tell you something," and she she looks so intense and just smiles and goes, "I love you." It's it's Aww. so it's silly, but again, it's you're, you're right. It is the kind of movie this is, but I if I want to buy his humanity and feel bad for him, I I kind of don't. <laughs> I do though. I totally do. And a large part in, uh, is that due to the fact with uh, his murder scene. Yeah. Oh, no. The murder scene sells me. Like, uh, I, I want to see him get his revenge on these guys. But the... I don't know. I I could have done with a little less of him, like, shaking his head and screaming. Just a little less. Yeah. Did you watch the uh, the director's cut or the... I, I couldn't tell you. I don't know. All right. Does it have a... I'm trying to think, like, things you would remember with it, but did it have Murphy, uh, like, when he gets shot in the head, does it have, like, a long tracking shot to where the camera sort of moves around him and he's all just writhing in blood and then it goes from to the back of his head and it shows it explode? Or does it just cut? I think so. Okay, so if it did that, you know, the more lengthy thing, then that's definitely the, the, the extra violent version. And, you know, it's the version I prefer. Well, how how much how much difference is there? Like how many how many minutes worth of difference? It's probably only like two minutes, but it's just significant enough gory cuts that you really remember the differences. Um, Clarence Bodiger's stabbing uh, is a lot bloodier. There's more like blood splattering on uh, uh, Murphy's chest or Robocop's chest. Mm. I love that thing with the spike thing. You you have a good idea. When he pulls out the uh, spike, it's like, why would they give RoboCop such a deadly USB drive or USB port, <laughs> which is pretty much what it is. Yeah, yeah, he just jacks it into things. Yeah, so but, and into criminals. <laughs> yes, it's very useful. That, that see, that's the the melding of the humanity and the machine, Casey. I'll tell you, my my favorite scene in this entire movie is RoboCop uh, finally tracking down Clarence Boddicker. Yeah. And throwing him through every window <laughs> in a in a room while reading him his Miranda rights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After he's just murdered like fifty guys. <laughs> yeah. It's... <laughs> it's like I, I think that just the movie for the most part is pretty tongue in cheek and it accomplishes it that. It like it's intentionally so. And you know, with those crazy commercials and everything, Verhoeven said you know, that was my reaction to just, you know, coming to America for the first time and seeing American TV and pop culture and how insane it was to my, you know, sensitive European eyes. Now, I, I have a question for you. Maybe you can answer this for me. Does Verhoeven or does he not see RoboCop in all sincerity as a Christ figure? Uh, totally. Like, he's... Verhoeven said... I think he even did a documentary. He's an, he identifies himself as an atheist. He's, he used to be a mathematician before he was a director, but he finds Christ fascinating. So, but but what is his evidence for the Robo Christ? Well, first of all, he does have his hand blown off, like the nail okay. to the hand, and the other big thing is, well, other than being resurrected, like a technological resurrection, RoboCop walks on water at the end of the movie. Okay, he walks in a puddle. <laughs> 
He's still walking on water. <laughs> it's just a puddle. It's just the image it conjures up, though. It's supposed uh, to like just be symbolic, I guess. Like, all right, all right. I'll I'll take I'll take Verhoeven at his word there. Yeah. So I, I can see what he's going for, but I I, I kind of always found the idea that he he thinks of it that way fascinating. Um. Yeah. He says he loves the as he said the the myth or story of Christ, and he has an obsession with violence. And <laughs> you can definitely see that here. So, so let's let's talk about that last uh that those last battles with um Boddicker's gang. Yeah, like um, it's nothing too lengthy. Uh, all of the action scenes in this movie, I mean, they're just not the crazy CGI slugfest we're so used to with you know modern superhero entertainment. But it, it, here at the end, um, I love the way Robocop just guns them all down. And this is after he's removed his helmet, and you see that it's just his skin pulled over uh, this robotic skull. You know. Yeah, it was. It's really cool looking. Yeah, another great Robotin makeup. Uh, we also, you know, we also get to see him eat that nasty, uh, was it baby food? Yeah. Um, well, early in the movie, uh, they they introduced RoboCop to the police station. They said, well, he does have to, you know, eat some sort of like high protein substance to maintain his organic components. He has a rudimentary digestive system, and it's yeah. Yeah, yeah. And one of the executives tastes. He's like, wow, it's just like baby food. I didn't think they'd literally get him baby food at, in the movie, but Verhoeven said that. Oh, well, this is actually the sex scene, you know, because uh, he, he's shooting with his gun and uh, Lewis is helping him aim his big rod at, and it's shooting and it's making babies. It, it's, oh, it's, my God. You've got to listen to his commentary for that. It's pretty hilarious. <laughs> so that was supposed to be visual metaphor also, but I just thought it was RoboCop getting target practice. So there's Your more to is it. quite a character. Yeah. I think he's really intelligent, and this is my favorite American movie of his. This is probably just my favorite movie of his in general, I guess. I love Robocop. What, what, what are his other American movies? Well, he did Total Recall just a couple years after this. Okay. And then he did uh, Basic Instinct. Like, it kind of goes on a very downward trend from... Was he Starship Troopers? Yes, he was. Okay. Um, Showgirls, <laughs> which effectively killed his career for a while, I think. As it should. Yeah, uh, Hollow Man, which was awful. I think my it's that's my least favorite version of the Invisible Man. Yeah, it was really bad. Um, I think that's it for his American movies because he he went back to um, the Netherlands and he made uh, Black Book. Mm. That was a pretty good uh, World War Two kind of spy epic. I think that was like two thousand six. Okay, okay. So he he's in like well into his seventies now, and I. I think he's more or less done with filmmaking. It, it seems to me like uh, Paul McCrane took on his role here uh, for his audition reel uh, to be in the live-action version of Action League now so that he could play Meltman with the power to melt. Because as we t- we mentioned McCrane previously yeah. in our Blob episode where he melts disgustingly. And uh, here again... Yeah. We have Paul McCrane getting thrown into toxic waste... And screaming as he deforms into this awful uh, oh, meltman. I remember seeing this as a kid, and it disturbed me. It's uh, yeah, Paul McCrane uh, screaming and running around in this mutated, boiling, 
acid melt state might be the most disturbing thing other than the two scenes where characters are visibly blown apart before our eyes. Yeah. It's it starts out almost like a Tom and Jerry gag with the this van he's driving and he misses hitting Robocop who's kind of a slow moving target and he runs into the toxic waste and the toxic waste floods the van and it pushes him out the back. So you're like, "Oh, this is kind of goofy." And then you see him and he's already half molten. You see like the skin hanging off his fingers and you see the bones in his hands exposed. It's really nasty. He looks like a melted action figure. <laughs> yeah. Or like an army man you took to the sun with a magnifying glass. Yeah. Deformed him. Yeah, it's pretty horrific. Yeah, but Rob Bottin, there you go, man. And then <laughs> he's hit by a car and he explodes. <laughs> It's to add insult to injury. It's so disgusting. You're like, oh god. I mean, to to McCrane's credit, he had been maybe the most prominent minion mm-hmm. in the movie up to that point. Yeah, Emil, get the van. There was also, uh, oh, yeah. There's the scene with him at the gas station holding up the guy reading a geometry book. Yeah. And and again, when he, they're shooting the uh, that anti tank gun in the middle of a t- shopping center, yeah, it, it's like a very uh, you know just kind of okay line. He says like I like it, but it's he really sells it with the delivery, you know. And you can say that about pretty much everybody in this movie. Like the dialogue itself is you know it's not Casablanca or anything, but just everybody's delivery is so wonderful. Like yeah. it may, that's what makes it really memorable to me. You know, or all of Peter Weller's lines, or, you know, uh, <laughs> Kurtwood Smith going, can you fly, Bobby? Kurtwood Smith in general is, I, I think he's a fantastic uh, example of a evil grunt. Like, he might be one of my favorite, I mean, because he's not necessarily the main villain. I mean, our main villain is the, uh, one of the corporate stooges yeah. that is uh, orchestrating all of this. But I... Kurtwood Smith is the most enjoyable villain here, and uh, maybe one of the most enjoyable in 80s action cinema in general, which is a tall order. Yeah, he's right up there with Hans Gruber for me. Right up he's, there. He's, fan- he's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, oh, and I, I recently learned, by the way, that the, uh, the scene where he flirts on that disinterested secretary, yeah. he was actually hitting on his own wife. Yeah, yeah, I read that too. He says some really lewd things to her, and it's like, oh, it's his wife. <laughs> yeah, that makes it that makes it a little less bad. And she does a good job acting disgusted, <laughs> as any normal person would be. Um, That's right. Yeah, if you had to say like any problem with like the villain relationship is that it maybe a little arbitrary. It just so happens that the main corporate bad guy against the RoboCop program happens to be the boss of the crime boss who killed the man who is RoboCop. But they make it pretty clear. I mean, Boddicker is like the number one. Yeah. Old, right? Yeah. So, so, I mean, if, if you're going to, if you're going to be a corrupt slime, corporate slime ball, you're going to hire the best. Yeah. Tigers are playing tonight. <laughs> I never miss a game. Uh, it's, oh man. I love those lines. Such a nasty bad guy. And he, he wears glasses that, are supposed to remind us of Heinrich Himmler. Ah. As uh, Verhoeven grew up in, you know, post-World or World War II Europe. So he's quite mm-hmm. familiar and has, 
very strong disdain for Nazis, you know, just, you know, this side of uh, anybody you know, Jewish or communist or anyone who, you know, severely suffered. Or anybody who just lived through that whole ordeal. Yeah. So I think he was like uh, a little boy during all that. So I mean, I, that still would have been extremely frightening. Yeah, just or not Nazis in general really just uh, burn themselves into his brain. And even the if you watch Starship Troopers, all of the good guys in that one are all dressed up like uh, SS officers or something. Because huh? I mean, we'll we'll talk about Starship Troopers another day, I guess. But um, Verhoeven wanted to make that movie a parody of fascism when the novel itself was celebrating fascism. Well, I you know I think that works for the better though. Like I I buy Kurtwood Smith as this as a sort of just veteran thug that's been around for a while. Mm-hmm. Like he's not he's not like a, a hulking uh, thug that, you, that you're used to seeing in these kind of movies. Yeah. Like he he is a character actor that I sort of buy as like the brains behind an operation. Mm-hmm. He's just nasty enough and he's smart enough. And his acting is solid enough that I just I, I believe him. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Ronnie Cox. Yeah. He's not as memorable in his role, in his bad guy position, but uh, he's a guy that is intimidating too. The way he mm-hmm. takes out um, the Bob Morton executive. Ronnie Cox is the one percent. <laughs> yes, he is. Yeah, he's he's the old man that like, hey, okay, yeah, this the uh, I mean he kills uh, Miguel Ferrer. Uh, Bob Morton. Um, that that is another scene that disturbed me too. Is the way he gets his knees shot out. It's like, yes. oh god, that's horrible. It's like, boom, 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 boom. His knees are just it, blown apart. And his then his house blown up as a uh, <laughs> yeah. As um, <laughs> Dick Jones laughs at him on his television. Yeah, it makes you wonder well, why he bothered using a silencer when he was going right? to blow up the house. I guess you know don't don't uh, alert the authorities too early. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I, but again, you know, he, he does it. Why? Because the young guys are laughing at him and trying to take his spot. Mm. You know, he, he is the, Dick Jones is the 1%. Yeah. He needs, he needs this. Mm-hmm. Um, the old man character is clearly supposed to be Ronald Reagan. Like he has these awful people employed under him and he has like a sweet sort of, uh, demeanor, or at least that, you know, on the surface. Now, he, wait, he's he's actually billed as the old man? Yeah, he's billed as the old man. I thought he would have, like, a... Because he's, he's the owner of the corporation. Yes. He's the and they just keep going, like, the old man says... I, I did not know he was actually referred to in the, in the script mm-hmm. as the old man. The credits, he just says the old man. Wow, okay. So, I'm pretty sure he's supposed to be Reagan. Yeah. And he, he doesn't quite know what's going on around him all the time, like, or all the evil right underneath him or whatever. He's trusting his advisors to give him the best information. Yeah, so I'm guessing uh, Ronnie Cox is Ollie North or something. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, especially especially knowing that our director is Paul Verhoeven. <laughs> yeah, and Newmeyer himself was quite critical of the Reagan administration. So huh. I don't want to turn our this episode into anything political or anything, but not especially because you and I are no experts on 1980s politics. Yeah, but you can't not talk about this movie in any sort of a uh, critical way without that, mentioning the politics. Yeah, in the same way that you can't talk about They Live. I mean, this game, this movie makes a joke out of Cold War nuclear paranoia by making a Battleship-esque board game out of it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's blatantly there. It wants you to see it. Yeah. 
but you know we didn't really get to talk about all yeah the final action scene all the bad guys are equipped with the uh bazooka rifles or whatever yeah i i they they're yeah there's some sort of weird anti-tank gun kind of i i got a dis- um the, the actor who plays joe cox i got a strong caesar romero joker vibe from him especially when he's like dancing around the street when he first gets the gun and giggling with it i was like they had to have watched uh 66 batman or something like he's having the time of his life yeah he's just channeling caesar romero really well <laughs> just, yeah definitely yeah. And this is free this is free uh tim burton batman so he wouldn't have seen like jack nicholson version it, it was definitely caesar romero yeah when batman was still very much a very silly character to the wide world so different from today so different from today i kind of miss it so yeah detroit is scummier than the the filmmakers had really thought it was going to be and batman was more serious than the filmmakers thought but hey at least detroit's got a real robocop statue yes so that i don't know man but you're thinking about the, the robocop statue because that's a movie about how crummy detroit is and that they need this slightly fascist robot man to murder all the criminals is that just going to remind all the citizens of detroit what what a terrible town they live in if only we'd given in to fascism <laughs> it's like you'll be sorry i mean let's let's be honest it was probably mainly requested and funded by hipsters that will never set foot in detroit probably not yeah like they, they just like the idea of robocop being somewhere because it's ironic and hilarious yeah, there was a great peter weller video on college humor he puts on like a cardboard helmet and he goes is this silly to you tell me <laughs> and uh Peter Weller is now a history professor at Syracuse. Uh, a friend of mine even took his class. He said it was pretty hard, actually. And a lot of people had shown up, but a ton of kids had left by, like, the second class because Peter Weller said, you know, a lot of, I know why you kids are here, a lot of you. I was RoboCop, I know, but I'm going to tell you this class is going to be pretty hard. We're not going to watch movies or anything. Like, I'm going to make... I'm not going to answer any questions about Buckaroo Bonds out of the class. <laughs> Are you going to make Buckaroo Bonsai too? Was Jeff... Never. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. John Lithgow. We got to do Buckaroo Bonsai on this show, Casey. I'll, I'll, take, I'll take the challenge. Yeah, is there anything else you really want to add to RoboCop? I mean, I'm just kind of nerding out on it. No, uh, not really. I, I oh, just oh, have oh, oh, a... One thing I did want to mention. I'm sorry. Trivia related. Um, fans of the show 24, like myself... Uh-huh will recognize that like five or six actors, uh, pretty much all of Clarence Bodiger's gang and Peter Weller himself, at one point or another, appeared on 24. And I think most of them, except for Peter Weller, played good guys. Like Peter Weller would play one of the one of the serious bad guys on one season. So clearly one of, or maybe some of the producers, or Kiefer Sutherland or whatever, were big fans of this movie. Huh. So it's it's a, like a little inside joke, I guess. So if you ever watch 24, all of the seasons, you'll notice that a different RoboCop actor keeps appearing, or sometimes two RoboCop actors. I'll tell you what, I'll, I will watch 24, the season that it, it's about a RoboCop. <laughs> because because then I'll believe that the, the, uh, the hero can go 24 hours without getting stuck in traffic, eating or using the bathroom. Or sleeping. <laughs> or sleeping, yeah. He's, I can believe that a uh, RoboCop will 
in 24 hours solve a problem that a human might otherwise be incapable of doing. Of course. Of course, Case. I, I enjoy 24. Uh, I, you know, all of the fans have recognized that it is a little silly, the kind of stuff that happens within the 24-hour time span. And, and, and rejoice, fans, it's coming back. It is coming back, yeah, in a couple of months. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So, but uh, so so overall, do you recommend? This Robo is one. This is one of my highest recommendations so far on the show, in terms of you know episodes where we've covered like you know a single movie. So absolutely, you owe yourself to see RoboCop. It's one of the best '80s action movies. It's one of the best like really violent action movies made, especially in America. Um, yeah. You owe it to yourselves to see this one. Check it out. I, I just love this film. It has. It will always hold a special place in my heart, even with like its little faults here and there, like Casey and I mentioned. You know, and, and sometimes, you know, it's not the most perfect movies that will rank up as your absolute favorites. It's your ones you no. know you can recognize as being flawed here and there. It's. I mean, it, film criticism is really subjective experience. Yeah, and, like all art. Yeah, like all art, and you know, it's also just a matter of taking every movie for what it is it's i like you don't you don't rate you know different kinds of movies on the same criterion mm-hmm. um but you know but that said i i i other than you know some minor quibbles i really can't think of anything i dislike about this movie necessarily um yeah i i enjoy it quite a lot i i'm not as high on it as you are but I, yeah. but I think I think it'd be very hard for me to be. Yeah, you are you are a very big fan of this one. Yeah, I I, um, I love uh, uh, future cop robot fiction. Anyways, I'm a huge Ghost in the Shell nerd. I love uh, or like a lot of Masamune Shiro uh, anime I, and manga. So and and I think RoboCop ties directly into that kind of stuff. Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, those are those are drinking from the same cup. Yeah. So, just the just the other one spouts more philosophy. So I know you're more of the giant robot. I'm more of the uh, robot cop. Oh guy, sure, but so. I can still appreciate Ghost in the Shell and Standalone Complex and all those. Likewise, uh, you... Masamune Shiro things. Well, likewise with Gundam and stuff, you know. Yeah. Well, um, as many the case, the brighter the picture, the darker the negative. And this oh. will hold true for RoboCop's subsequent media. I I haven't watched two or three yet. Yeah. I I know I've heard you like in the past and <laughs> and in the and the in the very uh, very ne- recent past and present, I've heard you grouse about the idea of having to do uh, two and three to the point where I accepted your stages of grief, where you were at the bartering phase, <laughs> and I am allowing you. To let us just do two and three as a single episode. It might be a slightly longer episode, but we're going to tackle both of these uh, sequels as a single episode so that we can get to the remake in time. The remake, which comes out on the 12th of this month. I'm going to tell you, I I, I hope this doesn't color my perception of, of, of the movie. I am not feeling like it has a very good chance of being a great movie. I don't either. But I have a feeling it's going to be better than most of the subsequent RoboCop media. I'm yes, pretty positive that's... on that. That's how bad, in particular, RoboCop 3 is. 2 Man. isn't, like, the worst movie ever. 
it's got some severe problems with it. But it's not a terrible movie by any... Well, it's not the worst movie by any stretch. It is kind of terrible in certain ways. But I, I find it watchable. Um, you're filling me we'll with talk some dread here. It. Do what? So you're filling me with some dread here. <laughs> so I have sat through it, and Casey will sit through it. And maybe you folks at home and will sit through, sit through us talking about it. Yeah, so uh, we'll have some amusing things to say about them. Um, oh, I, I am prepared. Um, it's my steadfast love of just RoboCop in general. <laughs> really just that first movie that will keep that keeps me <laughs> watching, you know, two and but, three. That first, that first movie and that positive memory of getting that one action figure yeah, <laughs> is enough to sustain a fandom. <laughs> it is. That's how striking the character is in the movie and how memorable it is. And, you know, that's through not just RoboCop, but through the direction. You know, the action scenes, the violence, the dialogue, you know, just the full package. It's, it's definitely a cult movie. I, I definitely also uh, appreciate it as a piece of um, 80s cultural satire. Yeah, like Back to the Future. Or like um, a lot of uh, Frank Miller's comics of the period. Mm -hmm. Frank Miller, who is the story writer for the sequels. Oh. Uh, And not to his or pretty much anyone else's uh, satisfaction either. Well, so strap in, folks. That's going to be a long one. Yeah, it's going to be a long one. Long viewing. Long listening. Yeah. Anyways. All right. Well, with that being said, um, this is uh, Bloodbath and Beyond. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. We do have a Facebook page. Uh, yeah. Not updated often enough, but if more of you join it, I might be inclined. Um, and that is at uh, facebook.com slash bloodbathbeyondcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm Casey Mitchum. And I'm Burton Cody. Stay bloody, my friends.